Is he the Messiah? Yes, he's the Messiah. Amen. When you and I got saved, how many of you in here believe that you're born again, saved, headed to heaven? Christ forgave you for all your sins. Amen. Now, let me tell you what happened. When you and I got saved, we switched kingdoms. We were in a kingdom. And the Bible calls the kingdom we were in the kingdom of darkness. And it's ruled by the devil. But when we got saved, we were pulled out of that kingdom. The Bible says translated out of that kingdom into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear son. So we switched kings and we switched kingdoms. And we also switched the way we live. Right? Because in the kingdom of darkness, you live by certain rules. And here they are. You live by sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell. That's what you live by. You live by your senses. But once we go to the kingdom of God, we don't walk by sight, sound, taste, touch, or smell, but we walk by faith. Everybody say faith. faith. Now that's the rule, the law, the way of the kingdom that we have been translated into. We literally have different ways of looking at things. We see things by faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We do life by faith. We're not ruled by the senses anymore, by what we see, but we are ruled by the promises of God, what they say. Right? Now, a lot of people get that about 20 years after they were saved. You know, I walk by faith. But today I want to talk to you about faith, and I want to talk to you about a particular thing about faith, and that is the fight of faith. Once you got saved, you got saved by faith, and when you got saved... You got a faith inside of you. It's the faith of God. God gave you that faith. It says he has given to every man the measure of faith. That faith, among other things, is fighting faith. Now, I don't mean fighting with your spouse. I don't mean fighting with somebody in the street. I mean fighting faith in the good fight. So I want to read out of 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. And look at this verse. It's a great verse. Paul tells Timothy... Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, notice what he tells Timothy. He said, Timothy, I want you to fight. I want you to be in a fight, but not a bad fight. It's a good fight. I want you to fight the good fight of faith. And that command is good for all Christians, not just Timothy. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for translating us into the kingdom of God's dear son. And now, Lord, as we learn to walk in that kingdom and live by the rules of that kingdom and walk by faith, I pray that today you will illuminate us even more on the principle of faith and the fight of faith and fighting that good fight and winning that good fight. In the mighty name of Jesus, can you just breathe a prayer, dear church, and say, Lord, today I receive this word as the word of God. Change my life today. In Jesus' name, strengthen my faith. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, fight the good fight. Tell at least one person, fight the good fight. Isn't it interesting that the the Bible tells us to fight? We're, We're to be fighters. Uh, We're called to fight as spiritual warriors in God's kingdom. When you and I got saved, we were put into the, 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 the army of God. We became soldiers in the army 
of God. Warriors in the kingdom of God. That's where God placed us. That's his calling on us. Now, let me just run over a few things about faith because since we all walk by faith and live by faith, we were saved by faith, we're kept by faith, and we're gonna go to heaven by faith, then we need to understand faith. Amen? Here's just a few things about faith that the Bible tells us. Faith can be weak or faith can be strong. Jesus was always telling people, oh, you have little faith. And then every once in a while, he'd say, I've never seen such great faith. So you can have great faith or you can have weak faith. Strong faith, little faith. Every believer is to live and walk by faith and not by sight. We're not called to live and walk by the five senses, but by faith. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. We didn't come up with faith. We didn't just wake up one day and say, I believe today I'll conjure up enough faith to get me saved. No, the Bible says God has given to every man the measure of faith. When you heard the gospel and I heard the gospel, it ignited faith in me. That's why the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Because when you hear the gospel, it ignites faith in you. And that faith is given as a measure by God. Faith is something, it's like a muscle. It's nurtured and it's strengthened by hearing the word of God. Faith can be strengthened like a muscle or it can atrophy like a muscle. There are people that had strong faith 20 years ago, but they've gotten out of the word of God, gotten out of prayer, gotten out of church, and they've gotten worldly, and their faith has has wilted and, and atrophied. But there are people who every day get up and get in the word of God and feed their faith, and their faith has grown day by day. That's why the Bible says we go from faith to faith and glory to glory. The final end of our faith is the salvation of our souls. That day when the trumpet blows, I was reading about it this week. Three things are gonna happen when Jesus comes back. Jesus is coming back with a shout and then there's gonna be a voice from the archangel and then there's gonna be a trumpet from God. So it's gonna be a shout, a voice, a trumpet. And when those three things go down, we're going up. Amen? Everybody say, I'm going up. I mean, hey, hang on, it's, it's, it's about to get good. Jesus is coming soon. And there is going to be a shout, a voice, and a trumpet, and we're going up so fast, you can't divide the quickness of time involved. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And, and faith is the God-given means, listen carefully now, by which, as long as we're on this earth, faith is the God-given means by which we obtain the promises of God. Faith is the way we take what is in heaven for us and bring it down. Faith is not to be worshipped or glorified or, or overly glamorized. Faith is simply the means to the end. It's not the end, it's the means to the end. We have many precious promises of God all throughout the Bible, but how do you get them from up there to down here? It is by faith. Faith is the means by which we obtain, make our own the promises of God. So if my faith is what brings the promises of God into my life, into time and space, from heaven to earth, then I want to be strong in faith. I want to be strong in my faith. I don't want to be saying, well, I hope so, maybe so, perhaps so. Gee, golly whiz, does, I don't even know if God really answers prayer. No, I want to lay hold of the promises of God. And you do that by faith. 
faith. We don't think the promises down. You don't think them down. You don't will the promises of God down. You don't somehow twist God's arm to send the promises down. We faith the promises down. They are faithed down. If I could just put it in a way I've never heard before. We faith it down. We faith the promises of God down. And, and, and we're told that through faith, the Old Testament saints obtained the promises of God. They did it through faith. It's always been that way. The Bible says without faith, it is absolutely impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must do two things. Believe that he is, that he simply exists, but also that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And when you believe those two things, you are walking by faith and you're going to be inheriting the promises of God. So in short, the entire Christian life begins and ends with faith. He's the author, he's the finisher, and he's the keeper in the in-between. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the finisher of our faith. Now, last time I checked, he never fails. Amen? So if he began a good work in you, he's going to finish it all the way to the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't fail. Amen? Now, the very best definition of faith in the entire word of God is found in a passage we all know, Hebrews 11, verse 1. And the writer of Hebrews says this, now faith is two things the substance of things you're hoping for, and it's the evidence of things you don't see yet. Now, let's just step into what faith really is and how it operates. Because here we're told faith is a substance and faith is an evidence. Faith is a substance and faith is an evidence. Now, let me just deal with those two words because it's the substance of what you're hoping for. Hope means you're expecting something good in regards to the future. So faith is the substance of what you're expecting, what you're hoping for. How many of you in here today are hoping, expecting God to do something you have prayed about? Come on, you've prayed about, but it's not here yet. It's not, say it's not here yet. If it's not here yet, raise your hand. All right, here's what he's telling us. If you've got faith, it's as good as here. Now watch this. Faith is the substance of things you're hoping for, you're expecting. Faith is the substance of it. It's the evidence of what you don't see yet with your natural eye. Just because it's invisible doesn't mean it's not real. There is a huge difference between not real and invisible. Because there's a lot of things people believe that aren't real. But there's also things that are invisible that are real. Our God is not not real. He's simply invisible yet real. Amen? So he says here, here, faith is called a substance. Now, substance is from a Greek word that means title deed. Title deed. So so we could read this verse this way. Faith is the title deed to what you are hoping for. Everybody say title deed. If God, here's what he's telling us, if God has given you faith for something, it produces the same confidence as a title deed would give you if you held it in your hands. For instance, if I today walked down and handed you the title deed to my car, I said, God spoke to me and told me to give you my car. Now, now, if I just told you that, 
you'd have a question in the back of your mind and say, well, he may or may not come through. But if I handed you the title deed and said, here's the title deed to my car, and then I walked away and I left it in your trembling hands and I gave you the title deed, you immediately have a confidence that it is indeed yours. You may not be sitting in it yet. You may not be driving it yet. But it's as good as done. It's in your driveway. It's just not there yet. But you know that it's coming because you hold the title deed. You hold the title deed. Now here's the deal. Faith that is standing on the promises of God is the substance, the title deed for what you are asking for. It's the title deed. When God gives you the faith for it, it's the title deed. It may not be in your driveway yet. It may not be in your possession yet. You may not be seeing it yet, holding it yet, but it's as good as here because you have the faith for it. Faith is the substance of what you are hoping for. It's the title deed. That's why we're told walk by faith and not by sight because there's all kinds of things that are on the way that aren't in the driveway yet, but they will be because you've got the title deed. You've got a promise from God and you've got faith standing on that promise. So it's as good as the title deed. So you do weird things like welcoming it before it arrives. You you talk like it's already there even though it's not there. Because as far as faith is concerned, what is not visible yet doesn't mean that it's not real. It's real, it's just not arrived yet. It's on the way. But until it comes, my faith says, I've got the substance inside of me. The substance is the title deed. And faith is not moved by sight. It is not moved by time. It is not moved by circumstances. Faith is not moved by any of those things. Faith is moved only and exclusively by the promises of God. Amen. So everybody say the substance. So whatever you're believing for today, there's things I'm believing for. It's as real to me as if it's here. I can see it in my, in my eye of faith. I can taste it, I can sense it, I can smell it. I I know that it's coming, it's just not here yet. But that doesn't move me because time is not affected, uh, does not affect faith. Circumstances don't affect faith. None of these things. What affects faith is the promise of God. Now the second half of the verse says that faith is not just the substance of things not seen or uh, uh, of things you're hoping for, but it's also the evidence of what you don't see yet. Boy, I love that. I love the word yet there. It is the evidence of things not yet seen. Yet put in there lets you know that though you don't see it yet, it's still coming. Yet seen. It's not yet seen. Now, the word evidence means inner conviction. Substance has to do with a title deed. I'm standing on the promise of God. My faith tells me it's on the way. But, but, The evidence is an inner conviction. Faith places within us a deep, abiding, inner certainty that what we are praying for is coming, is answered by God. I've read of people that prayed for things for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and they kept right on praying. George Mueller, the great great prayer in in London in the 1800s who had the orphanage full of children, and, and, and he never made an appeal for money. He had an orphanage, I, I forget how many children, hundreds of them. And, and, and he never made an appeal, never made a public appeal for money. He never asked for money. He never went public and said, here's how much money I need. 
Every day he prayed. And George Mueller said, I make it my business to stay in prayer before God until I get happy. And every morning he would pray over the needs for those children. And every day he would go out and there would be food on his porch, money on his porch. Things would cut for years and years. Every day, Jehovah Jireh provided for him in answer to his prayer. And he, he had a friend who was lost. They were good friends, but they were, he was lost. And George Mueller prayed for him for decades. I said decades. He prayed for him for decades. And when George Mueller died, he had still not been saved. But this old friend of his that had not been saved the entirety of Mueller's life went to Mueller's funeral. And in the funeral, the minister said something that struck him. And at the funeral, his friend was saved. But he had prayed his entire life. But did, did the fact of not seeing it shake his faith? No, because we walk by faith, not by sight. As far as he was concerned, his friend was saved. However God did it was God's business, but his friend was saved, and he stayed with it. Faith doesn't faint. Faith doesn't put up a white flag. God's faith does not walk away. It does not pick up its marbles and go home. John said, Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, listen to this. And if we know, everybody say no. Now, that's not maybe so, perhaps so, think so, hope so. No, it's no so if we know. Now, there's that certainty. There's that evidence, that certainty. If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we've asked of him. John right there is revealing what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, there is an evidence, there is an inner conviction that something is coming, that God has answered our prayer, though we don't see it, of things not yet seen. And here John says, you know, you know, there is confidence, you know, there is an inner knowing. People say, well, I don't see anything. Well, it doesn't matter. I know. Elijah was praying for rain. After three and a half years of drought, the ground was cracked and dry. Everything green had died. It was he, the prophet Elijah, that had gone straight up to Ahab and said, it's not going to rain till I say so. And for three and a half years, the land wilted and cried and wept over no rain, not even dew on the ground. And then Elijah, after the fire fell and consumed the sacrifice, and licked up all the water that was in the trenches. And all of Israel bowed and cried out and said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then he went off to pray for rain. And the Bible says six times there was nothing. He told Gehazi, his little servant, he said, it says he got on his knees, he put his head between his knees, and he began to pray. And he said to Gehazi, go check. And Gehazi went and came back and said, Boss, that's my wickwire, slanted, paraphrase version. Boss, there is nothing, nothing, nothing. Elijah didn't get up and say, well, he's been answering here to four, but he's clearly not going to answer this. No. He said, go again. Came back a second time, third time, fourth, fifth, sixth. Nothing, 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 nothing. But Elijah was not moved by what he did not see because he saw something with the eye of faith. And the seventh time... Gehazi came back and said, well, a little bit of good news, just a little slice of good news. There's a cloud 
about the size of a man's hand. You know how big that is? That's not very big. About the size of a man's hand? What is that? That's nothing. Elijah said, you better tell Ahab to get in his chariot and head for the house because there's about to be a gully washer that if he doesn't get to the house, he's going to be stuck in the mud. And all of a sudden, the clouds gathered in the sky, black clouds, rain clouds, and they had a Middle East rainstorm. But my point is this, six times there was no thing, nothing to see, but he did not give up because we walk by faith and not by sight. He had, he had the evidence, he had the, the, the confidence, the knowing that God was going to do it no matter what he saw or didn't see. Now, all these things come into play in the fight of faith. In the text that we talked about, we read, fight, the good fight of faith. All the things I just told you about faith come into play. And let me quickly talk to you about the fight of faith. How many of you can say, I'm in a battle in my faith today? Come on. There's something I'm believing God for. I'm under attack or I'm having to push through something or I'm having to bring some kind of a stronghold down. There's somebody I'm believing for their soul to be saved. My faith is in a fight today. Come on, raise your hand. All right, now watch this now. Paul said, fight the good fight. Now, there's all kinds of fights in life. Fist fights, verbal fights, bad fights, unfair fights, domestic fights, political fights. But there's a good fight. And the good fight is the fight of faith. Paul the apostle summed up his life this way. Listen, he said, I have fought the good fight. Uh, And he said it it, uh, uh, with a sense of accomplishment. I have fought, but I didn't fight in vain. I didn't beat the air. I fought a good fight. My whole life was dedicated to a good fight. I finished my race. I kept the faith. He says his fight was a good one. His race was a finished one. His faith was a kept one. He fought. He finished. He kept. Now, why is the fight of faith called a good fight? Why can it, how can we call any fight a good fight? Let me give you three real quick, real quick facts about the good fight. It's a good fight because it's the Lord's fight. It's a good fight because it's the Lord's fight. See, Paul had had not been a soldier in some earthly army, but Saul was a soldier, or Paul was a soldier in God's army. He, He was in the Lord's army. Now, The minute you got saved, whether or not you like it, you were drafted, so was I, into the Lord's army. We weren't just saved, but we were put into a battle zone. We were placed into a fight. It is a good fight, but it's a fight nevertheless. And all of us have been drafted, and there are no exemptions. We've all been placed as warriors in God's army. And if you don't want to fight, you will eventually learn to fight because the devil's going to pick on you until you stand up and fight him back. Paul's whole life was dedicated to delivering souls from Satan's grip and exposing the works of darkness. That's what he lived for. But it wasn't Paul's original idea. When the Lord knocked him down on the road to Damascus, it wasn't, he didn't wake up and say, well, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a soldier in the Lord's army. No, right then and there, he was drafted into the battle, and he dedicated his life to the battle. 
And Jesus calls every one of his children to the same battle, the Lord's battle, the good fight. We're all soldiers in the good fight, and we are supposed to make a difference. We're supposed to have some victories. We're supposed to bring some devils down. We're supposed to advance the kingdom of God. We're supposed to gain ground for Jesus. We're supposed to see some souls saved, some light shining, some salt shaking around people, the salt of the kingdom. We are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We're supposed to leave this planet having made a difference for the kingdom of God as a soldier in the Lord's army in the good fight. See, a lot of people think Jesus came just to say nice things and walk around, you know, uh, the Middle East uh, with sandals on and long hair, looking like a Hollywood movie star, and that he just said nice things and was kind of an inspirational personality. But let me tell you the truth about Jesus. He, he was none of those things. He, he, he came to earth to engage in a battle with the arch foe of all mankind, the devil, and all of his demons. He came to fight the unseen forces of hell. That's why he came to fight them, to conquer them, to die on the cross for us and totally defeat the devil in our lives. The Bible teaches that earth came under siege when Adam fell. We got to realize this. Earth became an occupied planet when Adam fell. The Bible teaches that first death entered the human race through Adam's disobedience. There was no death until Adam sinned. There was no death. Therefore, the Bible says, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. Why? Because all sinned. It was a very, very dark day for our planet when Adam sinned. And with death came sickness, disease, hopeless despair, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, everything that goes wacko and wrong in the human body is a result of the fall. John the Apostle writes, listen to this assessment of our world. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's the way it is right now. Yeah, the Lord is moving and people are being saved, but you look out there at that culture, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So when Jesus began his earthly ministry, it wasn't just to walk around and say nice things and be inspirational and all that. He came as a warrior. He came as a soldier. He came as heaven's anointed general to do battle with a renegade, monstrous devil and thoroughly defeat him. That's why he came. That's why the devil tried to destroy him when he was still a little baby. Through Herod's decree, kill every child, every male child. But they missed Jesus because God protected him. But it was the devil trying to stop him before he ever got started. For instance, we see at the launch of Jesus' ministry that he entered his own hometown, synagogue, to teach and to preach for the very first time. And the very first thing to happen was that demons began to cry out of a man for mercy. The very first thing, the anointed son of God, fresh out of the wilderness, fresh out of defeating the devil, fresh out of the showdown in the desert, walks into his own synagogue and begins to teach, and a man begins to cry out somewhere in the, in the congregation. Bottom line, the devil went to church that day. The devil goes to church today, too. Oh, yeah. There's devils in the church. I'm not looking at any of you. I'm talking about an unseen foe. 
But the devil went to church that day thinking that he was okay until the anointed son of God walked in. And the anointed son of God walked in and began to teach the word of God, quoting Isaiah 61 verse 1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And the devil began to cry out and beg Jesus, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us before our time? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The devil knows more than a lot of people. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of This was a scene. I mean, you got a guy crying out. That's a strong word in the original language. He was, he was crying out with a loud voice, <coughs> writhing on the ground in church, and the devil talking out of him to Jesus. And then suddenly the devil is gone and he's delivered. The people were freaked out. And they went out of there saying, we have never seen anything like this. Even the, even the devils do what he says. And so here we see Jesus' ministry right out of the chute. First thing, marked immediately by warfare with the devil. He flushed the devil out of the shadows everywhere that he went. From then on, everywhere that he went, the sick were healed. The hopeless received new life. Demons came out. The Bible says he went about everywhere doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That was a day in the life of Jesus. It was the good fight. So the good fight of faith is when you and I step into the Lord's battle and fight the devil alongside him. And that's what makes it a good fight. Can we give him praise today? Come on. Yeah. Now, a second fight about, fact about the good fight of faith is we've got skin in the game. In the good fight of faith, you and I have got skin in the game. Now, let me give you a little illustration. It's football season. Think of a football game. There, there are a total of 22 players on the field, 11 for each team. They all play different positions. And they all experience adversity and attack. But watch this now. But the one carrying the football is the one worst attack of all, and he's often hurt. They want that football, but when they get that football, they come under fierce attack. They have 300-pound brutes trying to crush them to the ground. They, they grab that ball knowing, as soon as I get that ball, I've got skin in the game because I'm going to come under attack. I could really be hurt. But carrying the ball is worth it to me. The opposing team could care less if the ball carrier crosses the goal line, but they care a whole lot if the ball crosses it with him. And as soon as he drops the football, the play is over and the attack against him stops. Now, you know where I'm going with this. As soon as you and I grab the gospel ball, then we are going to be targeted by the devil. I said, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We're going to be targeted by the devil, and he's going to make it personal to where we've got some skin in the game. You may end up hurt. You may end up offended. You may end up uh, wondering what in the world you picked up that ball for in the first place. You had no idea you were in for what you're in. And sometimes you wonder, what in the world has gone crazy with my life? All I did was commit myself to Christ. No, that's not all you did. You picked up the gospel ball. And when you picked up the gospel ball, you came under attack. 
when you're carrying the gospel ball, running it toward the goal line, and you're about to make a touchdown with souls being saved, and the Jesus team is about to win, you will get personally attacked because you're the one carrying the ball. Come on, everybody. So let me just warn you, you're in a church that's carrying the ball. And sometimes people think, well, I'm just going to go to church at Turning Point. We're just having a great old time. We're going to just, you know, joy pop on Jesus and worship him and just do neat things. But you don't understand that when you get into a church that's winning souls and reaching the world with the gospel, you are carrying the ball. You're helping carrying the ball. This is a ball-carrying church. We're not sitting on the benches wondering what to do. We're a ball-carrying church. And so the devil will attack you on a personal level. He'll send discouragement, disappointment, trouble at home, persecution, weariness, betrayals, anything to stick you good and stop you. And this is when trying times are the worst times to quit trying. We're in this thing to make a touchdown. Oh, listen. I want to make touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. When the devil attacks and tackles me on the field, I want to get up and I want to get that ball again. I don't want to go sit on the bench. I want the ball again. Give me the ball. You know, all those receivers are saying, give me the ball. I want the ball. Give me the ball because I want to carry it across the goal line. I want to see souls saved, the kingdom advanced, Jesus glorified, the devil vilified. I want to see victory. So for sure, in the good fight, you're going to have skin in the game. Peter said, don't be amazed at the fiery trial that has come upon you as if some strange thing were happening to you. No, it's happening because you've got the ball. I know people that had the ball for a year or two, and now they're trying to ditch that thing. They got into so much attack because of it. But no, when the Lord gives you the ball to carry, the Lord will protect you. He will watch over you. Even though you take some hits for the kingdom, they're good hits. Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. But that's all right. Because whatever happens to you, he's going to see you through it. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Amen. So say with me, say with me, the good fight is the Lord's fight. And the good fight is personal. And last but not least... Every Christian must keep in mind that the battle is already won. The battle is already won. We lose sight of that sometimes, but the battle is already won. You may lose some fights along the way, but the victory is assured. The war is already won. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it wiped away every claim that Satan had against you. Let me read to you one of the greatest verses in the Bible in closing. Colossians 2.13, listen to this. We owed a great sin debt, but God forgave us that debt. But it didn't stop there. Watch this. He took it away and nailed it to the cross. And then, watch this, verse 15. And he defeated the rulers and powers of the spiritual world. Let me read that again. He defeated, definitively defeated the rulers and powers of the spiritual world. With the cross, he won the victory over them. And I love this next part. And led them away as defeated and powerless prisoners for the whole world to see. 
That needs to let us know that even though the devil is still out doing things, he's still a dog on a leash. He is a defeated foe. I want you to say with me, he's a defeated foe. Come on, everybody. Do you believe that? He's a defeated foe. Then and there on the cross of Calvary, the war was won. So in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So say with me again, the battle's already won. Can you stand up with me today? The good fight, the good fight, the good fight. The good fight is the Lord's fight. In the good fight, there's skin in the game. But the good fight has already been won. I want to pray for strength today for all of those locked in a battle in a good fight with the devil. See, there's things you're believing for. They're not there yet. You're having to fight and hang on and keep praying. And sometimes it wears you down. He's come against some of you, your mind, your home, your children, your marriage. You know you've got the victory in Jesus, but you need fresh strength. I want you to come to the altar, and I want to pray for you today. Can you just slip out quickly and come? Let's just take advantage of God in this altar. Come on. If you're in a battle, slip out and come. I know there's more than this. I know we need grace. The Bible says let's come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find the grace to help us in the hour of need. Your faith is taking a beating, but let me tell you what. Who is it that overcomes the world? Even our faith. What overcomes the world? Even our faith. That's what overcomes the world. Our faith. Not us. Our faith. Not our good looks. Our faith. Not our education. Our faith. Overcomes the world. How many of you needed this today? Amen. Amen. Now I want everybody to lift your hands in the altar. Lift your hands. Because I'm thinking of the words of Jesus to, I believe it's the church in Philadelphia in the book of Revelation. And he said, I know that you've got just a little strength. I know you've got just a little strength. But I'm going to help you. I'm going to carry you. I'm going I'm to take you over the goal line. It's, it's my battle. Your battle is my battle because you're my child. So he knows that you're battling. He knows you feel shaky. He, he knows the temptation to just quit has come upon you. I want you to lift up your hands to the author and the finisher of your faith. Lord, in Jesus' name, we come to you right now in the mighty name of the Lamb of God. Lord, you called us. You chose us. You tapped us on the shoulder. You convicted us. You filled us with your spirit and you brought us into your battle. And now, Lord, we come to you for strength, for grace and mercy to help us in the hour of need. We need your help, Lord. We need your strength. I want you to pray with me and just say, Jesus, I come boldly to obtain mercy and find your grace, your strength, your empowering, your ability, your anointing, your touch in this hour of need. Lord, here I am. 
fill me with fresh fire. Now give him a wave off. Just begin to just give the Lord a little wave off. Just say, Lord, I receive it right now. By faith. See, we're reaching up by faith. That's the means by which we obtain the promises of God. So I want you to obtain the promise now. He's promised strength, so obtain it. No weapon that is formed against you is going to prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you are going to condemn. You're not going down, but you're going through. You are not defeated. You may have lost a fight, but you've won the war. In Jesus' name. So get up and dust yourself off and receive God's forgiveness. In Jesus' mighty name. Listen, it's never over till God has had his say. So can we just lift our hands and say, Jesus, thank you. I receive your help. Amen. 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 Amen.